this is a family day for us at Bethesda. If you're visiting here today, um, we're glad that you're here, but you have come on a family day. Sometimes we dress a little different than we have dressed today. Uh, we've, some folks have come in their picnic casual clothes. How many of you dressed a little more casually today than, yeah, okay, and you look lovely, very nice, very nice. But I, there must have been some reason why Pastor Brent put robes on the choir today, because it was a little too picnic. Okay, all right, I got it. But it's a family day for us, and how fitting that we have dedicated the little ones to the Lord. And on this day, in every sense, every day, in a sense, every day is, is a family day here because we are a church family. I don't know about you, but I still believe in the church family. I believe in the church family. And I believe that there's value in the older people giving instruction to the younger people and the younger people providing the vitality and the energy for all of us older folks. And I, I believe in the church family. Today is special, and we're going to go enjoy the church picnic just as, in just a few minutes after the service, and I am just so thankful today, so thankful that they did away with the pastor's dunking booth this year. <laughs> yeah, I'm thankful. You can be sad about it, but I'm thankful. Even yesterday, all weekend, all weekend long, there were lots of events taking place in and around Bethesda, there was upward soccer yesterday morning, and some of the motorcyclists were here doing whatever, and they did a ride around the area, and classic cars were here, and there was a home group last night that where some older folks were teaching children how to play croquet, and so on a weekend like this, and on a day like this, I want to give you a word of encouragement. How many of you would like to have a word of encouragement today? I think it's a good thing to be encouraged. I don't want to be heavy today. There are plenty of other times for that. So I promise you one thing, that is this, this sermon will have a happy ending. Everyone will be happy when it ends, okay? <laughs> On Monday of this week, we had a big storm here in Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas. It was quite a display of lightning in the sky. And I was able to enjoy all of it while being stranded in the DFW airport for just over six hours, waiting on my flight that kept getting delayed little by little. Had I known it was going to be six hours, I would have gone back home. But you know how that goes. It's a 20-minute delay, 45 an hour here. It's, it comes in increments. So we were there, and everything at the DFW airport really came to a grinding halt. Some of you may have been there on that day as well. Frustration mounted, and as flights were canceled and delayed, and inconvenience was the mode of the day. Thousands of people had their, 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 their plans changed and involuntarily. Some folks took it in stride, and then there was other folks who didn't take it quite so much in stride, and they became animated over it, and you could tell by their body language and their other language that... That they, were, that they were frustrated over the whole thing. But there was nothing that anybody could do about it. It was what it was. So it dawned on me while I was watching all the human reactions to this circumstance take place, that everyone's schedule being interrupted and everyone's life being altered for at least for a few hours was all taking place because of just one thing, and that was water. The rain coming down, the atmospheric conditions being created by 
the cloud formation and clouds all full of water and the electrically charged regions that take place within the clouds and between the clouds and between the clouds and the surface of the planet. But I want to talk to you for just a few moments, moments this morning about water. Sweetheart, I need, a, I, need a, I need a drink there if you wouldn't mind, please. Thank you. Excuse me just a moment. Ah, there we go. Water. How many of you drink lots of water? Anybody drink lots of water? I don't drink that much. Have you ever thought about the ways, all the ways we talk about water? Running water, living water, being in hot water. How many of you have ever been in hot water? You know, ladies, they say the best way to keep your husband out of hot water is to put dishes in it. <clears throat> Sorry, guys. And you know what they say about a tea kettle? It's up to its neck in hot water, but it still sings a merry tune. We talk about, oh, that's... That's water under the bridge. There's been a lot of water under the bridge, we'll say. Or we might say, still water runs deep. Still water runs deep, which always sounds so nice, but if I'm honest, there's one word that flashes through my mind when someone talks about that. Boring is usually what comes to my mind. We even have events uh, named using the term water, like the Battle of Waterloo or the events that took place at Watergate. We have many uses for water. Hopefully, we all used some water with a bath or a shower before we came to church this morning. We boil it, we freeze it, we drink it, we wash with it, we swim in it, we play in it, we fish in the water. It's a major part of our lives. It's the basic component of the human body. It's in a lot of foods, and it covers most of the earth. What we call the earth is really covered more with water than with land. But I want to use it today, use water today, as a symbol of what God can do in our lives because of what He has recorded in the Word of God that He has done with water. I want to liken us this morning to water, which we're made up of and which is so foundational to our existence because there's a lot in the Bible about what God does with water, and there are some great lessons for us today, and they are encouraging. I'm going to mention four of them to you, and then, then we'll be dismissed. The first mention of water in the Bible is found right at the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Let's look at it. In the beginning, God created what? The heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering or brooding over the surface of the waters. Now, the truth is, this is a very provocative couple of verses here, known as the gap theory, because what happened between verse 1 and verse 2? Something must have happened. Because how could a perfect God have created something formless and empty and such a mess as we read about in verse 2? How could that have happened? Did something precipitate that? Was there some judgment or deluge or whatever? 
Verse 2 says that the earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep and the Spirit of God was moving or brooding or hovering over the surface of the waters. Now water, unless it's coming like a flood, really isn't much of anything, is it? Even though we need it for life, we can't lean on it. It can't really help you all that much except for drinking or washing. But it is mentioned in the Bible in Genesis 1-2 that this water, for whatever reason, was dominating the scene of total chaos and total disaster right here at the beginning. In the Hebrew language, the picture of verse 2 is of total chaos that's happened right at the beginning. And some commentators have said as some sort of scene of judgment of some kind. Some will say that in this, this gap theory between verse 1 and verse 2, the first two verses of the Bible, maybe that's when Lucifer fell. Uh, who knows? All kinds of theories have been, have been proposed about what might have taken place between those verses. I was talking to Pastor Des about this last night, and, and he reminded me of a couple of things, and I was so touched by it, I got quickly off the phone because I was moved, and I kind of had to have my moment to take it all in. In verse 1, the Hebrew word bara, B-A-R-A, is used to tell us that God created, created, bara, that's the Hebrew word for created, that God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything there is. At that time, at this time of creation, of what we look at as verse 1, all of the cells, all the atoms, everything that was needed for this world to exist were bara, B-A-R-A. They were created. So the question is, where did he get all of his resource? Where did, all the, where, where did everything come from that he needed to create? I'm going to give you an illustration that is so ridiculously um, uh, different, but it's, it helps us maybe prove the, the point. I, I hope it's not offensive to you because of, uh, of how I'm using it, but I want you to know this. It's about my mom again. I have lots of stories on my mom. About four years ago, I realized that my mother had never been to one of my recording sessions where I do the orchestra thing, and I was doing a, a, a large, I think it was a Christmas project for some company, and it was doing it in a very large studio with a large orchestra. It was kind of a, a big one as those projects go in Nashville. And I invited my mom and my sister to come down because they'd never seen that. And the truth is my mother really didn't understand what I did in the music business. You know, my mother's a pastor's wife and, and played the organ in the church forever and, and understands music from a church music, local church situation. And so she got there and, and looked lovely, and, and she was taking it all in, the music came in, I introduced her to some of them, and they start playing, and one time on a little break, she said to me, she said, now son, where do you get all this music that these people play? Where do you get it? Well, mom, I, I arrange it, and I, I, I orchestration, I, I write the orchestration. Okay, but where do you get it? <laughs> like, do you go to the Christian bookstore? Because, you know, in, in church life, everything you need for Sunday school or music, you go to the Christian bookstore, right? That's where we get everything. So do you go to the Christian No, Mom, I, I, I write it and I, I, I arrange it. Okay, I'm not sure she ever fully got that. But she was asking me, where do, I, where do, you, where do you get it? Because in her mind, it had to come from somewhere. It couldn't just have shown up. It had to come from somewhere. That same principle applies here when we look at creation in verse 1. Where did he get it? Where did he get all the stuff that we see today in our world? Where, where did he get it? Well, 
There's one answer to that, and that is this. And this so overwhelmed me last night. I, I don't know if it'll have the same impact on you as it had on me. He already was all those things. He already had all of those elements. It was all in him. It all came from him and who and what he is. And Paul makes this abundantly clear in a couple of comments that are familiar to us. In Acts chapter 17, he says, for in him we live and move and have our being. Church, everything we have is because of him. It all came from him. In Romans 11, he states it clearly like this. He says, for from him and through him and to him are all things from him and through him. Church, I just want us to somehow grasp the largeness, the grandeur, the majesty, the splendor of our God and his creative power. From eternity past, he already was. He already was those atoms and cells and everything that was needed to create everything that there ever was. What a great God we serve. Come on, bless the Lord today. Now, because my illustration is so foolish, I want to be very, very, very quick to say this. I've never created one note of music. I've written probably thousands of orchestrations over the last 35, 40 years. I don't deserve to be able to write. Here I am. I have done a lick of music, formal music training. I'm what they would call a self-taught musician, whatever that means. Learned it through the school of hard knocks in the hard way, directing choirs. Learned a lot standing right here on this platform. Yes. That's right. That must have been Jack. <laughs> oh, that was Gerard. <laughs> but I want you to know, folks, and those of you who are creative and who come up with stuff, whatever it is that you do, it all comes from him. It all comes from him. When I sit at my little computer at home and I start to write whatever it is I've got to do, whatever my responsibility is, I sit there. You know what I say? Lord, it's our little secret here. <laughs> if you don't show up, if you don't put something in my head, if something isn't in my mind, I got nothing. In and of myself, I'm nothing. But because of him, he allows us to do all kinds of things we would never be able to do on our own. Blessed be the Lord. From him, through him, to him are all things. So here we are back at verse 2 of Genesis 1. It's not a pretty scene. The earth was without form, was void, and darkness covered the face of the deep water. But the Spirit of God hovered over the water. So the first lesson we learn about God through this little study of water is this. God can take something that is an absolute mess and make it into a beautiful world. Something beautiful, something good. All my confusion, he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife. <laughs> Is that your testimony? But he made something beautiful of my life. He can take something that is an absolute mess and turn it into a beautiful world. Bless the name of the Lord. 
Because from that mess in Genesis chapter 1, God made the world that we live in. He shapes human beings using water that's in the dirt, in the mud, in the clay. He separates the water. He fills the waters. One of the things that God wants to remind all of us this morning, that we, because we see it in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, God can take desolation. God can take us when we are at the most desolate place in our lives, when the bottom is falling out. It looks like there's no way for things to be better, when it looks hopeless, when our hearts are broken, when we don't know what to do, when our lives and everything about it looks like a total disaster. He can take a disaster. Yes, friend, even your disaster, I'm talking to you. Even your disaster. And from it, he just speaks to it, and it becomes something beautiful, orderly, and wonderful. Bless the name of the Lord. So the next time you drink water, or you see water, it can remind you that the first mention of water in the Bible, God was teaching us that the Spirit was brooding and hovering over that water, which was in a very bad setting, and he made the world that we now live in, the Grand Canyon the Swiss Alps, the beaches of Hawaii, the redwoods of California, all the rest of it. He made that. Have you ever faced a situation that looks so desolate and disappointing and disastrous that you just want to throw up your hands in the air? How many of you have presided over a mess once or twice in your life? Come on, where are you? Tell me the truth. Well, this reference to water reminds us that God loves to take messes and turn them into blessings. That's what he did with water way back at the beginning. There's a second mention of water that I want to talk to you about, and that was when Israel came out of Egypt, and they came to the Red Sea, and what's the Red Sea made up of? Right. And that speaks of the fact that there are not only times of desolation, but there are times of danger. They were hemmed in. God had led them to a place that to them made no sense. Remember, they were following the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. The Lord was leading them. They didn't have a GPS. They were following God, and he led them to a place that ultimately for them looked like a place of danger, with the Egyptians now chasing them. Mountains on this side, they can't go over that. Mountains on this side, they can't go over that. The Red Sea right in front of them, and the Egyptians chasing behind. Have you ever felt like that? Hemmed in on all sides? To them, it looked like absolute danger, total catastrophe. So what happened? They began to fear and cry. If you remember, they turned on Moses and they said, didn't we tell you, leave us alone when we were in Egypt? We were eating garlic and leeks and onions and rice and peas and burritos and enchiladas. It's it's worded a little different than King James. All of that that we had back there, you should have left us there. But no, you've brought us to this place of total danger. And then, God made the water of danger to be a wall of protection. Get it. The same water that threatened them, the same water that they thought was going to be the end of them, became their wall of protection, for he separated it. And they walked across. And what was protecting them was the water that they thought was going to kill them. So God can take the dangerous places in our life when we're facing difficulties and problems. 
And you thought it was going to be danger. And God says, oh, no, 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 no. That's not going to be danger. That's going to be the wall that's going to protect you. And I'm going to use the very situation that you think is going to get you. No, it's not going to get you. It's going to protect you. And it's going to keep you close to me. And you're going to cross over to the other side. Let's give him praise, church. Come on. Just remember, you can't have a testimony until you've been through a test. You recall in John chapter 13 where Jesus is washing the feet of his disciples. And Peter offers some resistance to that. That was when Jesus said these words. And it might be a word for someone here today if you're listening. He said this, Jesus said this in John chapter 13. You don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. You don't understand it now. You don't see it now, but someday you will. There are times in all of our lives that what God is doing in us and what he's doing through us, we do not understand. We have to learn to be patient. We have to learn to trust him because the test he has permitted us to go through is going to turn into a testimony. And you can't encourage other people unless you've been there yourself. How can you sing about the Red Sea unless you've walked through it? And while walking through it, you've had the personal experience of seeing the wall held back by the mighty hand of God on this side and on that side. And you were able to walk right through it. How can you do that unless you share it with someone else unless you've walked through it? There's an old, old, old hymn that we didn't sing a lot in my Pentecostal church. Though I've arranged it many times for people since then, the last few years. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who to Jesus for refuge have fled. But there's a fourth verse that caught my attention, that came floating through my mind as I was preparing this message for you today. This fourth, fourth verse of this old hymn says this, when through the deep waters... I call thee to go. The rivers of grief shall not thee overflow, for I will be with thee thy troubles to bless and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. So remember that God can not only take chaos and make it into something beautiful, but he takes the dangerous places of life and uses that and creates a wall of protection so that through that test, you end up with a testimony. Always remember, church, that what you're going through now, God is going to use to be a blessing to someone else. You think Jody and Darla know something about walking through a situation with a newborn here? Their lives totally interrupted for weeks and weeks on end? God's going to use that. And they're going to be able to bless someone else and encourage someone else. And in those moments when that next couple wants to give up, they're going to say, no, 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 you don't have to give up. We know what that feels like. You can keep going because we can say, look what the Lord has done. Let me give you a couple of more pictures. Jesus said to Peter, he says, Peter, I'm going to ask you to come to me on the water. No, that's impossible. No, walk to me on the water. Remember, they were crossing the lake and there was a storm and they were afraid. And Jesus comes walking on the very thing they were afraid of which ought to give us an idea of how great our God is. The thing that seems like it's going to knock us out, he's walking on it, and he's using it to come near to us. The things we go through that are difficult, Jesus uses them to draw us near to him, and you all know I'm telling you the truth. That's been true for me 
I know it's been true for you. How many of you have been closer to Jesus when your back was against the wall? Of course you were. Happens to all of us. And Jesus said to Peter, come to me. And the water, which in this case represents an impossibility. No man can walk on water. No one's done it before or since. The water, which represents an impossibility, becomes a road to come to Christ. The water of impossibility becomes a road to come to Christ. If you're facing an impossibility today, and some of you are, God can change that water of impossibility to a road to bring you to Him. Otherwise, why would the psalmist have said, in the day of trouble, I called upon the Lord in Psalm 50? Why? Because when you're facing impossibilities, who do you have to go to but to to the Lord? Where can you go? When you're facing something impossible, you think somebody else is going to help you? No. When it comes to the impossible, you have one place to go. In the day of trouble, I call upon the Lord. And we must always remember, and I know you do, but never let this slip from your mind and your heart, that that which is hard and impossible to us is nothing to God. He just speaks and it happens. All kinds of impossibilities have been surmounted by God using the impossibility to cause us to look to him. And as Peter is sinking in the water, why did he sink? Because he looked at the wind and the waves. He should have kept his eyes on Jesus. But that was Peter's problem. He was always looking around in his life. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And Peter always had trouble because he was looking at other things. He would get distracted looking at other things. And when you begin to look at the winds and the storm, dear friend, you're going to start to sink. And then what happened? Jesus caught him. And if you're here today and you're facing a storm of impossibility and it has captured the whole of your attention and you're consumed with looking at the winds and the waves around you, I want to declare something to you. Get your eyes off of that. Get your eyes upon Jesus because you are not going to sink. He's going to catch you. The Lord is going to use that water of impossibility to become a road that leads you to him. But you've got to keep your eyes upon him. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So water. He turns our chaos into something beautiful. He takes danger and uses it to protect us. And he takes the water of impossibility and keeps you from sinking and uses it as a road to him. One more. Then there was the wedding in Cana of Galilee. John chapter 2. And they ran out of wine. Have you ever had need in your life? Have you ever come to the end of the month and have more month left than money? Is that true for anybody? Let me tell you about our finances here at the church. All we've ever known in all the years that I've been here, which is uh, 36 now, across the 36 mark May 2nd, all we've ever known is we don't have it, God's going to have to do it. That's the way it is. We have never been a church with lots of surplus sitting around. We have to pray in the finances every month and somehow God miraculously provides. Aren't you glad he is still Jehovah Jireh? In all honesty, April was a tough month for us. I don't know if it was the tax season. We can, we can speculate all we want, but it was a tough month for us. 
Thankfully, that's not always the case. You never know if, um, what folks have decided to do with their tithes, if, they have, if they're still committed to the Lord Jesus and prayed to the local church. Some people decide they're going to do this here and here, there, and everywhere. Some new folks to the church haven't learned yet the blessing of obedience and paying their tithes to the Lord, bringing your first fruits, realizing everything you have is because he gave it to you anyway. I just threw that in for free, no extra. <laughs> but here's the truth about it for us. Now with so many people paying online, which is a blessing, it's a wonderful thing, but just because we take an offering on Sunday, that doesn't mean that everything that's going to come in, we don't see it all until maybe the, the end of the week. And so, you know, it can be pretty scary. But yet the truth is, God has always been faithful to us. He's always been faithful. At Bethesda, we've never taken on a project and we're able to say, oh, praise God, the money's all there. Let's just go do it. No, that's never been our story. It's always, oh my, Lord, how are we going to do this? If you don't show up and help us, it's not going to happen. So the lesson for us from this story in John chapter 2, with Jesus turning the water into wine, is this. When you run out and you don't have enough, your need can become a place of joy because he, he turned the water into wine. The water seemed insignificant to them at the moment because they needed wine to help get them through that embarrassing situation. It was very embarrassing for that family to run out of wine. And he was asking them to fill up the pots with water. Why was he asking them to fill the pots with water? It's because of this. Jesus can take the ordinary things, touch them, and turn them into a blessing. You didn't hear me. You didn't hear me. Jesus can take the ordinary things. We look for the spectacular we look for the wow, don't we? Some of you have got ordinary things sitting right in front of you, all around you, at your home. Jesus can take the ordinary things and touch them and turn them into a blessing. He can supply all of your needs today if you will simply trust him. The answer is not in crying, though you may do that. The answer is not in feeling sorry for yourself, particularly as you... Uh, compare yourself to others who appear to be better off than you. Oh my goodness, why do we get caught up in that trap? We see somebody else or, we, you know, or, or particularly we see on Facebook. And you know everyone's playing their highlight reel on Facebook, right? All the good stuff, that's nice. You see all of that and you get discouraged and depressed. Oh, they're going to Hawaii or they're doing this and they're doing da 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 We don't get to go anywhere. Woe is me. The answer is not in comparing yourself to other people. The answer is not in promising to do better. Those are not the ways to get God to answer you and to see God supply your need. What is it? What is it that makes the difference? The answer is this. It's the great thing that he takes delight in. Psalm 147. He gives food to the wild animals and feeds the young ravens when they cry. He takes no pleasure in the strength of a horse. Or in human might. No, 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 no. The Lord's delight is in those who fear Him. And how do they do that? Those who put their hope, or many versions say their trust, in His unfailing love. Listen again. He does not take pleasure in what we are impressed with on the earth. Power. And in that day, what was it? It was a cavalry and, and uh, an army or walking foot soldiers. So the army with the biggest and best horses, whoa, look at that. 
The Assyrians and the Babylonians are coming. And their horses are covering the land. And look how strong their soldiers are. And God says, that's not what gives the victory. And that never impresses me. Hydrogen bombs, nuclear weapons, that doesn't impress him. All the money in the stock market, none of that impresses him. Oh, big, huge churches with full coffers, that doesn't impress him. Might impress us, doesn't impress him. Remember that nothing that the world calls great impresses him. And I say that to say this. The next time you feel small and insignificant and overwhelmed, and you're looking around around at all the strong, powerful people that look like they're going to walk right over you, Just remember, that does not impress God. What he takes delight in is the person who says this. I'm going to trust you, Jesus, no matter what. I'm not going to look at the circumstances around me because I know that you're bigger than the circumstances around me. I'm not going to look at all the things that could easily depress me or turn turn my attention this way or this way. I'm going to keep my eyes on you. Lord Jesus, I'm going to trust you and you alone. That's what he takes pleasure in, church. And that's the school of faith that we are all in. I've been in it. I'm still in it. I'll always be in it. He wants to teach all of us, trust me. Trust me. He takes delight in weak, fragile people who are vulnerable, but who say, God, I'm going to tie a knot, and I'm going to hang on, and I'm going to trust you. Horses don't impress him. Some trust in horses and chariots, the psalmist said, but we will trust in the name of the Lord God Almighty. Drones don't impress him. Our new weaponry weaponry doesn't impress him. Cleverness doesn't impress him. Smart people don't necessarily impress him. Here's what he takes delight in, some simple soul like you or me who is feeling the full weight and feeling the full pressure of your circumstances. And I'm not minimizing that. Some of you are in really, really difficult circumstances sitting in this congregation this morning. But that simple soul who is feeling the the full weight and the pressure of the circumstances simply lifts their heart in the midst of all this and says, Lord, regardless of all these things, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust that you're going to take the ordinary of my life the simpleness of my life. And then you're going to turn my water into wine because that's one thing he can do with water. You're going to turn my mess, my chaos into a blessing, into something beautiful. My test is going to become a testimony. And the thing that looks like it's going to swallow me up is going to become a wall of protection for me. Blessed be your name forever and ever. Let's close our eyes this morning, church.